welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. We're going to be talking about a really important subject tonight with expert Keith on this particular topic, which is entrepreneurial burnout. So welcome, Keith Corbett. Thank you, Jane. Very happy to be here. Looking forward to it. So Keith, burnout, very, very common, isn't it, amongst entrepreneurs? It's a lot more common than people might think. There was a recent Harvard a university study which uh, said that at least 25% of entrepreneurs experience at least mild burnout at some point in their careers. So I, it may well be more than that. That's 25% who admitted it. Yeah. So let's get into this whole topic of burnout because is burnout something that is a very personal thing or are there certain symptoms and signs that you are, if you like, entering burnout or, or experiencing it? I think that obviously the symptoms of it, you can see the exhaustion, severe stress, anxiety, panic attacks, and it has also detrimental impacts on the home life. It comes from having anxiety, self-doubt, fear of failure. These sort of things can drive a person to be giving more than they've got and becoming overwhelmed. And then you obviously have the um, particularly self-employed people who feel personally responsible for everything they doing all the busy non-revenue generating work and also have difficulty delegating. They think that um, no one else can do it better, which, which may be so, but uh, it does lead to exhaustion and stress. So I think the overwork and this need to succeed or fear of failure is a real big driver. But there can be other sources as well. So, for example, this week, only two days ago, I was talking to somebody who had it coming from both ends. Uh, their daughter had moved away to take up a, a career opportunity and was in absolute despair about it. And it was a time when we were locked down and couldn't visit. And the daughter was phoning two or three times a day in severe distress. And there is a saying that you can only be as happy as your unhappiest uh, child if you're a a parent. And at the same time, things weren't going well with her business. She had a business partner and was getting very overworked and stressed around that. And the two of them combined and eventually she just wiped out. And the thing is this, there's, there's, no, there's an old saying that, that you know, the graveyard is full of indispensable executives. So right. it doesn't really serve us to be killing ourselves in that way. But often people can't see a way out. So they feel sort of trapped on this ever speeding up treadmill of life and they get into these ever decreasing circles until you just can't go anymore. Yeah and I think that's a very good way of describing it that treadmill because I think a lot of early stage entrepreneurs really feel that because in order to get a business up and running you do have to put in the hours and you do have to do the work yourself right from the beginning unless you're one of those fortunate people that perhaps leaves corporate with a a contract or you have the skills and the experience to literally just hit the ground running. And for many people, it's just not like that, is it? No, I think you're right. And a lot of people find themselves in the situation where they decide to go self-employed, often to escape 
what they dislike about the corporate world or having a job at just over broke, and they want a better lifestyle, they end up having exactly the opposite in the end, having more hours for less money quite often, it's for, certainly for a period of time. And this is within five years, at least half of new startups go bust. It's really kind of a sorry thing to see. But one of the reasons is they, they just don't have the capacity to handle everything themselves, nor see a way to get the resources to help them out. And once you're locked in that, you're very sort of blinkered. You don't really see, you have this sort of focused vision on just doing tasks, doing tasks, doing tasks without putting your head up and saying, okay, how can I find a better way to do this? Who can help me? Who do I know? Who can give me some pointers on it? There's a lot of help out there if people want to look for it. But when you're overwhelmed, it's difficult to get your head above the parapets. Yeah. And I think what tends to happen is that in those early days, I think people are quite hamstrung because I actually learned a sobering statistic the other day that on average, many business, many new businesses are not in profit for the first two years. Now that is, I mean, that's significant, isn't it? So if they are investing, and of course, you do have to invest, you have to invest in yourself, you have to invest in resources. Somehow you have to get the money from somewhere to start a business because it's quite hard to do it on a shoestring. It will take you longer and it will be harder. So people, they get the money, they get started, they put the money in, and then they expect the results to come. And inevitably, it can take longer, can't it? And it can be harder than they imagined in the beginning. And isn't it that time when the burnout starts to creep in? Yeah, you see, it's, uh, you're not making the money, you, you've got, you're coming to the end of your grant period or wherever you got the investment from, you, need to, you might be having to Savings, maybe. pay it back, yes, and, or, and yeah, the resources running out. So what do you do? You work harder, you try harder to get more in, and this actually puts you in a, an even worse place. It is quite, a, I think, fairly common scenario for a lot of people trying to get themselves off the ground and even established companies you know you can you've got um, i find it particularly with solopreneurs you know even if you've been going a while and then you lose a contract or something happens personally and you have to take your eye off the ball and suddenly where's my income going and so you get back onto this sort of desperation cycle yeah. And now, of course, it's not the same for everybody. And I know, obviously, you and I, Keith, we've known each other for a long time. And some people, they've managed to get themselves in a position where they the financial pressure is off a bit, which, of course, is very helpful. So it's always a good goal, isn't it, for an entrepreneur to think about, okay, how can I actually get that, get my expenses covered while I actually grow my business? And sometimes if there are, if there's money from other sources, for example, rental properties or some investments or whatever, that's fantastic. But a lot of business owners aren't in that situation. So we are going to get on to talking about, okay, what can you do if you are in that situation where you've started a business, you've started it with all this enthusiasm and passion and excitement, and you put the money in and you're now at that point where you're in that dip. I think there's a book called The Dip. That's what I heard that actually talks about this specific time when you really are implementing. You're on the other side of the new kind of passion and excitement and enthusiasm and you're grinding away and making it happen and it's not happening fast enough. And how do you actually manage that? That's um, a really good question. I mean, the one of the things to do is look at the 
the 80-20 rule. So um, there's a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by a chap called Ferris. Work mm-hmm. smarter, not harder. Focus on the things that count. Just this sort of, you'll find that 20% of the activities contribute towards 80% of uh, the revenues. There's the whole outsourcing thing. Um, even right from the start, when you say, okay, you, maybe you've got no money, everybody's got money to start up with, but to find a way to, even if it's with a credit card, to get the you know, the automation, the lead generation, rather than having to do everything manually and long-windedly yourself, will give you a lot more freedom to focus on the things that really bring the money in. And I think the key thing is to bear in mind, I mean, it's all right to say I've got to work, 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 but you really do. I do, do you know the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by, by Covey? Um, what I like the best is uh, sharpen the saw. And because a blunt saw can't cut the wood, you really have to be able to take that break so that you can replenish and refresh. It's counterproductive to keep going without recharging the battery. It'll always be flat unless you put more juice into it. You can release the pressure, constructive leisure activities, have non work interests, time for family and relationships. In fact, you're the smart connector. You understand the value of this. There's a decades-long Harvard study which talks about the connectedness and community um, is much more of a contribution towards happiness in the long term than any amount of money at all. And meditation is good. I have a, I don't know, I don't take this as a plug, but I do have a thing on my website called Instant Stress Relief. And it's a five-minute audio, which when you're frazzled, you can just take five minutes to let it go. We call it the calm routine. It's very effective. It's not a cure, but it's, you know, temporarily lets the pressure out so you can carry on with what you're doing. And that's a sort of practical things. The way I look at things like burnout and anything that, anything that is causing us to be dissatisfied with how things are in our life, I take a more holistic view of things. You have like, what we call the four bodies, the physical, mental, emotional, and your energetic body. And an imbalance in one is going to have a knock-on effect on the others. So the the stress and the burning out is going to have a physical toll on the body. Fatigue, aches, uh, migraines potentially, maybe gut or thyroid issues, quite Mm -hmm. common. Mentally, you've got the stress, the firefighting, and all that sort of reactionary stuff. Can't see a way out. Trapped, you know, and then there's the emotional being anxious on a sliding scale from frustration down to despair and people going into alcoholism and a lot of that i think is looking at it from say the energetic or spiritual connection is being out of alignment with your core being by compromising your values and your purpose and purpose is more about who you're being rather than what you're doing and having a weak energy field and it can be driven by things like self-limiting beliefs around your self-worth or money. No, your money doesn't grow on trees. It's filthy rich. And if you've got these unconscious beliefs, meaning that we don't even know we have them, that can be a problem because your unconscious will generate that reality for you. So I know not everybody is going to resonate with this kind of perspective. What I find in my practice, it does pay to have a much more holistic view of things. You can also find that the root cause if you've got a financial issue, the root cause could be somewhere in another area of life, like a relationship issue. And if you can heal one, the other one takes care of itself because everything is connected. 
Mm-hmm. And this is what I found out from years. I mean, I'm just an ordinary guy, nothing particularly special about me. But I had some extraordinary experiences which set me on this path of um, discovery and self-discovery and helped me to make massive positive change in my life. And others do the same as well. And what I do is I, I blend the scientific, metaphysical, and spiritual teachings so that just really getting dumping all the baggage getting aligned, accessing hidden inner resources. We're all much more powerful than we know. And we've given up our power by falling into these patterns of despair and generating these very, very unpleasant situations for ourselves. We can blame external people and situations all we want, but in the end, inevitably, it's all generated from within. And that's the way I look at it. And that's the way I get Results, of course, there's practical 3D things we've talked about, but when you're more holistic about it, there's a much more chance of getting where you actually want to be. Yeah, I think that's so important because I totally agree with you that everything is connected. And if you're unhappy in your working life, if you feel stressed and if you feel as though you're rushing around trying to get everything done but really achieving nothing, then it is going to impact your feelings about yourself. It's not just going to be, okay, I put work away and now I go and live my amazing life. No, you're going to be struggling with your relationships. You're going to be struggling with your feelings about yourself. And I think the, for me anyway, the important thing as an entrepreneur is to detach from your results. Because what I find is that you have a good day and a bad day. Some people have a good month and a bad month. And Although we would all like to have consistent and predictable revenue in the early days coming in, we don't want anybody saying no to us. We want everybody saying yes. And just to go like that with our business, the truth of the matter is that it's always it's like that. And if we pin our self-esteem and our happiness and our well-being to our business, then we too are going to be up and down like that. So do you find when you're working with your clients, Keith, that that is a common theme and that's something that they struggle with? So I actually think you're absolutely right. It's never all milk and honey 100% of the time, not for any of us, because we are human and we will have challenges. That's what we're here for, to grow. And you can only grow by overcoming challenges. But I also find even when things are going well, you can have the same problem. So I had a client last year just around the end of the first lockdown, it was August timeframe, and he got a redundancy package. So he'd got the money, bought a franchise, and for about three years, really threw himself into it, did fantastically well, was one of the top performers and in the country, or it might have been the world, I can't remember now, and was doing phenomenally well. And also, he got residual earnings. So he got money by getting new clients on board, but also there was residuals because of the service yeah. that, that the franchise offered. Yeah. And uh, suddenly his efforts slipped and he just found himself doing less time on the business. He'd lost his, mo- he lost his mojo, basically lost his motivation and had no energy anymore for the actual business that, that he put his heart and soul into for the last three years. And that had a knock-on effect. He started gaining weight. He stopped exercising and he was started eating poorly and went from the best performer to just ticking over. And he wanted to double his revenues. He really had this goal of doing it, but he just lacked the motivation. And he'd thrown so much into the first three years, he'd got nothing left to give. And 
Well, when we got down to it, the root cause was, in fact, a fear of failure. And this comes up mm. so common, and it, it does lead to a lot of procrastination, because if you don't try, you can't fail. And so once we got that sorted, he was back on it, and he'd got this goal. He wanted to have four clients by the end of the year. So by the time we finished the program, it was, I think we did about six weeks with him. And so we're running through to the end of September. And he actually got three by the end of the year and the fourth one in January. So I'm calling that a result. But he actually had the, the parachute payment and the resources to get going and still had the same issue with, with burning out. So it can happen to anyone if, we, if we're not uh, careful about how we go about it. Yeah, that's a really good point, Keith. It can happen to anyone at any time. And I know some, and have known, some extremely successful and very, very wealthy people who I would, I definitely know, were either on the point of burnout or actually have had nervous breakdowns. They've been so overwhelmed by the demands of their business. In fact, this was, I remember my boss, the owner of the business that I eventually sold, he was in that situation where by he had a very successful business. He always had a successful business. He left the BBC with a golden handshake. So he had a lot of work right from day one. He was able to pay into his pension. He was able to employ designers because he had those contracts. So it was very, very nice right from the start. But he pushed himself so hard. And I think just the overwhelm and the responsibility of being a business owner after the relative luxury, I mean, call it a golden cage, if you like, of being within a, an organization like the BBC. I think that was always very, very difficult for him. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's all on our shoulders, isn't it? And sometimes that can just feel so hard, can't it? Yes. And I think that uh, Robert Kiyosaki explains it quite well with, with his book, The Cashflow Quadrant, when you've got the four quadrants and on the uh, Top left, you've got employed, and the bottom left is uh, self-employed, and top right is business owner, and so, so bottom right is business owner, and the bottom left is investor. And the idea is to get yourself onto the onto the is this the right side onto the right side of the everything's the wrong way around on my screen, but onto the right <laughs> side on the right side of the quadrant. When you're in that S quadrant, self-employed, there are certain characteristics, common characteristics. It's not for everyone, but generally speaking, they do have a lot of the same characteristics essentially they don't really own a business so as much as owning a job a job yeah. that comes without paid holidays and without a pension plan and, and so on and so if they go away the job doesn't get done whereas with the business owner that the b quadrant of the cash flow quadrant they've got other people doing most of the work and they're, they're working on the business rather than in the business and there's a big difference there they actually own a business and the business can function without them for a, a period of time and of course then you've got the investor quadrant where you're basically making money work for you rather than you work for money and i'm actually in two quadrants i'm in this investor quadrant as you know as a property investor and i'm in this quadrant as a therapist and because of being in this quadrant life's quite comfortable i don't do this i don't have i don't have to i get paid every day whether i get out of bed or not so I don't have to do this. I do it because I'm on a mission and I love doing it. And it just fills me with so much joy to see the transformation in other people. It, it's more of a, a calling, a, a cause. And if I don't do it, I get very dissatisfied. And I think that that's, there's no accident in that, but that's getting a bit sort of esoteric about things. So uh, yeah. if we deny our purpose, it causes us problems, basically. 
Yeah. So I think we ought to really talk about this issue of self-employed versus business owner versus investor, because for me, somebody who's self-employed, they are really exchanging their time for money. I've been self-employed in my life. In fact, I've had all of these roles. When I first started out on my career, I was actually an art director and a designer. I used to get paid by the day. So that was my job. I was self-employed. I had no ambition at that particular time to build anything or to be a business owner. I just wanted to work and to get paid for being in these fun environments doing fun stuff. So I was there. And then after a while, the instability of that and the regular hours, because it was a bit of a crazy environment at that particular time, just got to me. And I thought, no, actually, I do want to kind of go into corporate life. And so I started working for agencies and actually climbed up the career ladder and did that whole corporate thing. And then obviously, I kind of, I jumped ship and I became MD of a really small agency company. And this was the one that we scaled up and then sold. And then after that, having had that experience really of kind of running a business, I mean, really running a business and scaling a business, that gave me the confidence then to kind of go it alone. But what I always struggled with in that transition is actually that thing of not actually wanting to be self-employed. I've never really wanted to be self-employed. I like to build things and I like to build businesses. And right from the word go, with anything that I do, I always try to kind of leverage and outsource and really just focus on the stuff that I do best because I know that there's a lot of stuff that I do quite badly. And if I went back to being self-employed and just did one of the things that I do well, let's just say if I just was a coach, and there's nothing wrong with just being a coach, but if that was just all I was doing and I was just focusing on being a coach, then I wouldn't be building something and I like to build something. But building something, building a business, it's harder than being self-employed. I think being self-employed, you stay in lane, don't you? And as you said, you've got an income stream that enables you to be self-employed and to be to stay in lane. But that's not enough for some people, is it? Is it all about kind of just finding a balance in your life that works for you? Well, I think it depends on what you want out of life. I mean, so I have no interest in building a business and being responsible for many other you know, employees, even if they're virtual em- contract basis or whatever, and having to manage that. I had a corporate career, as you did. I got to yeah. director level, both on the agency side and in-house, doing public relations and marketing in the high-tech industry, and departments of people reporting to me and stuff. And it wasn't what I would call my dream job. Mm. I like the strategic elements and looking ahead and where we want to go and how we're going to get there. I quite enjoyed that. But I didn't enjoy being the agony aunt for all these people. I didn't enjoy all the politics of people jockeying no. for position and that. But I did love what I did and it had some really, really good... I happen to be quite good at it, which is why I was able to progress. But when the opportunity came to take an early retirement package and I coupled that with what I built up in company stocks from our stock employee purchase plan and performance awards and such, I was able to turn that into cash flowing property portfolio. And I did all of this studying and research over many years, even before I left the corporate world into what worked. I mean, just for me, it started with a scream. I just... (laughs) 
book up one night. And uh, I'm not going to try and change anyone's worldview here or anything, but I did see the ghost of my dead grandmother standing by my bedside. And whether you think it's real or not, or hallucination or anything, or try to logical fire, the important thing is it set me on a path. It, for me, it was a signpost yeah. to make change in my life and do something different. And I don't want to believe, I want to know, and I really did a lot of uh, research, reading, workshops, conferences, one-on-ones, and got to discern. I've got really good BS detectors, having spent 30 years in PR and marketing. So. <laughs> <laughs> but also found a fantastic ways to develop intuition and our own access, our own hidden inner resources to make empowered decisions. And I started experimenting with it and trying it out on myself and other people. And it's amazing how one thing I really, really did learn is how easily we give up our power, how easily we disempower ourselves through our negative emotions and limiting beliefs and how we give in to these and how they drive our life, attachments to toxic people or, or situations. And we all think it's outside of us, but actually it is all coming from within. And it, you don't have to work very hard to make some tweaks to get very, very different results by dumping that that baggage aligning with your core being, finding out who it is initially. And then once you're in alignment with it, you get more of a life of uh, grace and ease. And honestly, Jane, I, I only decided a matter of uh, three or four weeks ago that I, I'm on a mission to help more people become self-empowered. I'm still going to do one-on-one -on -one work, but I want to do one-to-many. I want to run group courses or workshops. I want to do public speaking. And just the synchronicities all popped up. And here I am, just uh, you can count it in days even, having a talk already. And this is how it works. When you get in alignment and you are, in fact, in tune with who you really are in your core being. And you create consciously and the synchronicities show up all the time. You could even see it in a 3D way. Like, for example, I was looking for a car. I saw a Mazda garage, went in. I would never thought of buying a Mazda, but it ticked all the boxes and was in the budget. So I got it. And I thought, I don't know anyone who's got a Mazda, but I'll be the only person I know with a Mazda. And I got home and there's three already in the road and they've been there ages. I've just never seen them because you don't know what you're looking for. When you get real clarity and you've got all of the baggage out of the way, you can get very clear on who you are and where you're going. The opportunities abound. They were there anyway, but now you can see them clearly. And that's how it works for me now. And that, that's how it works for my clients and how I work with them to use exactly the same processes that I use on myself. It just happens. Like, it's just absolutely amazing. It's, it's normal for me now. Okay, so Keith, let's get back into it because I was just getting to this point of we were talking about entrepreneurial burnout and it's yes. such an important topic. And I was just going to, oh, I just have so many questions. So entrepreneurial burnout. So what is the main cause of entrepreneurial burnout? If you had to choose one, what is the main cause? I would say it is a fear of failure. Okay. There are many, but that one comes up a lot. Right. So fear of failure, we, we're hardwired for fear in, in, in a way, aren't we? Because that's our crock brains at work, isn't it? So Yeah, and sometimes it's also related to being judged because we have a natural inborn need for community. We don't want to be expelled from the community. So we want, it's natural to want people to like us because that, that's a basic survival thing. But if we think that, oh, if we fail, people are not going to think so highly of us. They're going to look differently at us. It can be a driver, a 
a fear of failure, but that fear is quite easily released. And then you can carry on with your business in a proper way rather than a more uh, sort of inappropriate driver. I mean, look, fear is also, in a way, it has a positive side, doesn't it? Because we do have to be conscious of threats, don't we? Yes, obviously, we've got our ego, which keeps us safe, like from back from primeval times. There's a saber-toothed tiger. If you just say, oh, I wonder what it would be like to experience being a saber-toothed tiger's breakfast, that wouldn't be very good for the survival of the species. So if you're like, oh my goodness, I've either got to find a way to kill this thing or get away from it, and you've got that fight or flight yeah. that we talked about, that's a natural fear. If you've got like, there's like fear of heights, for example, if you're on the edge of a precipice, like I was up on the, I'm in some high high buildings like World Trade Center before it got knocked down and all that. And looking over the edge and you feel it like down there. And that's a natural fear. There's only one tribe up high in the Andes who don't have that. Everyone else in the world has it. But if you're like some people I've worked with, you're putting your foot on the first rung of a stepladder to change a light bulb in the kitchen is putting you, filling you full of dread. That's a fear you don't want to have. It doesn't serve you and is of no benefit whatsoever. And if you've got a big, hairy goal, it's a bit scary, but that's an, an exciting scary. I think that's a good thing. But if it's filling you with dread, you're like, oh my God, whoa, that's not going to move you where you want to be. So fear comes in various shapes and sizes. Some, some of it is, can be beneficial and helpful and some of it unhelpful. And that's the bit we have to get rid of. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of us, and I know that I've caught myself doing this as well. I mean, luckily, I'm aware of this because I was taught that it isn't a good thing to do. But this thing about rehearsing a negative outcome or catastrophizing is something that it's so easy to slip into, isn't it? Well, as uh, you'll now be aware, I work very holistically. And I, I am of a believer that if you focus on what you don't want, you increase the propensity of attracting that into your life. Yeah. It's better to focus on what you do want and get more of what you do want in your life. And people say, oh, the little voice keeps saying this and saying this and saying, and I say, well, it's your head. You're in charge of what goes on in it. So I understand you can't always stop the voice, but what you can do is have a representation of what you do want what your preferred outcome is yeah. and swap it. You've got something to, until that becomes your new normal and you like, man, I'm always thinking positive. If I have a negative thought, it's because of a real life situation, something's happening. But generally speaking, I'm now completely free of any kind of anxiety. I, I work a lot with anxiety. I know what it's like to be waking up in the morning and as soon as you become conscious, falling into dread because you don't know what's going to be happening in the day. Well, have an idea of what you want to happen in the day and put that in your head. And you may find that's more likely to happen than what you didn't want. Yeah. And really, there is no reason why we shouldn't rehearse in our heads a positive outcome. We shouldn't rehearse everything going right. But how many people actually do that? When you think about it, naturally, people don't tend to do that. And I just wonder why that is. I do it all the time. I mean, well, why it is? Because they don't know. They, people don't know any better. It's not taught in schools. No. Like before I came on here tonight, I did a number of techniques, some of which you'll be aware of. I used the, the Ho'oponopono, the, the stage technique. So I detached myself from the outcome. I'm not trying to make it go good or bad. I'm trying to be neutral about it because if you become too attached to an outcome, you can set up a resistance which drives it further away. Yeah. But I did also 
put a goal in my future where I imagined what would happen at the end of it. I'm not telling you now what that is, but you can probably imagine that it was a good thought. So yeah. that it's gone very well and so on. I didn't imagine that you would disappear for most of it, but... Uh, well, well, as you said, everything happens for a reason. So it was like your energy just got so big that it made my computer pop. <laughs> it's like, like, no, no, Jane has to go away and let Keith shine for a little bit. That's the way of looking at it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So rehearsing a positive outcome, that's a very, very interesting thing, isn't it? Really? Why should we not rehearse those positive outcomes all the time? Is that a good habit to get into, do you think, Keith? I think it is. With the things like anxiety, I do have a technique which I call best possible outcome. Right. And it's quite simple. What you do is when you go to bed at night, you think about tomorrow and what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe there's an event or you're going to be somewhere or whatever's going on. And how do you want it to be? And you get a really good representation of it looking through your own eyes. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you say to yourself? And most importantly, how does it feel? For that to go perfectly, exactly how you want bring that feeling to it. And just do it for half a minute and write on a piece of paper what it is. In, and we might be meeting with Jim or whatever. And then you've had that representation of it. Just put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. Very last thing. First thing in the morning, before you do anything else, before you empty your bladder or whatever, Look at what you wrote last night, meeting with Jim or whatever it is. Go back into that representation. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you say to yourself? And how does it feel? Get the full VAK on it, as they say. Get that kinesthetic. How good does it feel to that? To go exactly how you want it. Hold it for 30 seconds. Go about your day. And you may find it goes exactly how you want it, or at least better than you expected. So really, really useful technique. I call it best possible outcome, EPO. Best possible outcome. Okay, so remember that, guys, best possible outcome. If ever you catch yourself rehearsing a negative outcome, which is obviously a byproduct of stress and burnout and all of the things that we've talked about, you can flip the switch and turn it to a best possible outcome. So that's the message. So, Keith, do you think this whole thing about burnout, is it because we've been poorly trained in terms of our thinking and our approach to things, or is it something that is deeper than that? Well, I'm going to say yes to both. Again, you look at things holistically. There is the physical, 3D world, practical stuff with, which we have to deal with. And you might have a good idea, and you might be really good at uh, what you do and you want to take that out to the world and you go and become entrepreneurial but do you know how to run a business do you know how to manage the finances how do you know how to get the resources you need to make things happen and yes you can train it yes you can use other people's expertise and so on but many people just launch themselves into it without any idea of what's going to happen and suddenly all this stuff is piled on them and it's like oh my god i didn't expect this so there is that physical world reality of it but then you've got the mental and emotional and energetic stuff if you're out of alignment with your core being it's it, you will attract problems if you've got these unconscious beliefs about being unworthy or the fear of failure i tell you what fear is a very very strong emotion and it's through your thoughts and your emotions that you communicate at the quantum level and create that vibration and that harmonic, which is going to be generating your physical world reality for you. It might sound a bit mumbo jumbo, but, but it just works when you change that into 
a feeling of peace and excitement and gratitude. It's great to have an attitude of gratitude because if you're feeling thankful all the time, you'll get more things in your life thankful. So, yes, there's a practical consideration. If you're swamped and don't know what you're doing or you're getting more stuff and you know what to deal with, that's a problem. But if, but maybe the problem is caused by being out of alignment or having unconscious self-limiting beliefs, for example. Yes. And, you know, I certainly know for myself, I'm a great believer that the quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. I really, really do believe that. And they say, surround yourself by people who lift you higher. And people can misinterpret that. They can think, well, that means that I always need to be around kind of super successful people. And people say, if you're the most successful person in the room, you've got to change the room that you're in. And there's lots of lots of sayings like that for entrepreneurs, which are very just success and money orientated and all the rest of it. But genuinely, I believe we started off talking about this at the beginning of the podcast, that connection and intimacy and the ability to actually speak your truth and to be accepted and seen for who you are and for you to have the opportunity to do that for others and with others as well. I believe that that is one of the most strengthening and protective things of all when it comes to this issue of burnout. Would you agree? I think it's definitely a contributor. I mean, and as humans, we are uh, social beings and then embracing the life affirming factors that I talked about earlier having community and connection yeah. is a key one of those to be sort of withdrawn and shutting yourself off from the world is going to lead to distress it's going to make you unhappy yeah. for sure and that Harvard study I referred to they, yeah. they took these young men in the 30s and they there's a TED talk on it and the director of the current director of the program been going on since the 1930s yeah. there's still about seven or eight people still alive who are on the program and they periodically measure them across all kinds of physical and mental and attitudinal and also their wealth and that and obviously some of them became very rich and there were senators and others were in poverty and so on but at the end of the day but of all these from the 750 they started with across all those decades, what they found was the it wasn't the richest people who were the happiest, it was the ones who had the most connection and the most community. Yeah, which is, I mean, look, it doesn't surprise me at all, but I just keep on thinking, and I did mention this on another podcast about this guy, Johan Harry, who did all these studies across the world about depression, and he made it his life's work. I don't know if you've read any of his books, but he, no, no, he went no. around. Tell me, sorry, tell me his name again. Johan Harry, his name is. So he studied. I'll, I'll look, I'll look it up. Yeah, he studied addiction and also depression. And so he, he went around the world interviewing different societies all over the world about their attitudes to addiction and depression. And what he found out about addiction is that basically, we as human beings, uh, we're kind of hardwired for addiction because we like things that make us feel good. And we, so actually, it is normal for us to want to get, experience a different reality, if you like. So, and we tend to be greedy because we kind of think that things, even back from the caveman days, that with this gorging thing of like, you never know when the next meal is going to come from. So that predisposes us to want to drink for example or whatever or to experience a different reality in our mind 
Yeah, that's what he found out about addiction. But with depression, what he found out was that they started introducing antidepressants to developing countries. And he went to Cambodia and they just introduced antidepressants to Cambodia. And they said, well, we don't need these. And so he interviewed this doctor. He said, well, what do you mean you don't need these these tablets? Now, we have our own antidepressants. He said, well, what do you mean? And so this man talked about this guy who had, he'd been in a a landmine. He was just a rice, a paddy in the paddy fields working. Obviously, it's water. There's water there. And his leg had been blown up by a landmine. So he had like a artificial leg. And apparently when you expose artificial limbs to water, they can be very painful. So he was going out working with his artificial limb in the paddy fields and he was very, very sad because he was in pain every day. And in the end, he just went to bed and just cried and wouldn't get up and go to work in the paddy fields. And so what happened is they had they sent people from the village around to sit with him every single day and to talk to him. And after a while, this guy started to kind of feel a bit happier because people were coming round to talk to him. And in the end, they all clubbed together in the village and they bought him a cow so that he could didn't have to go back into the paddy fields. He just he could have his cow and he could be a dairy farmer instead. Very, very simple story. But the moral of the story is, look, people heal other people. It's connection, isn't it? That's our antidepressant. We don't believe in any of these tablets. It's people. It's actually caring. It's people caring for other people that lift them higher and they get them out of this, out of this state, really. So. That, that's a fantastic story. I really love it. When I lived in Colorado, I used to go to a lot of, and that, that was in my, what I call my awakening phase. Yeah. And I was going to a lot of these sort of um, metaphysical type of workshops and things. And there was a holistic bookstore which had a regular talk and often they would have an elder or wise person from one of the Native American tribes, like Arapahoes were from that area, for example. And the way they talked about how they deal with, well, I say societal issues, but first of all, traditionally, they didn't have the same kind of issues that we, that we get in our society, that they we've created an environment which we're not physiologically suited to, which is why we, we have all these problems, especially constantly in a state of fear. That's not good for you physically amongst other things and it was how they dealt with people who had like committed a crime or an offense against somebody they don't see it as the person's fault they see it as the community's fault for creating the situation that that person felt they had to do that and it was a really really interesting way of looking at things very wise and enlightened on the subject of addiction i find it really quite interesting it is that the way i look at it, it is that addiction is an unmet need at the level of the unconscious mind and the german word for addiction is sucht which is the same root as the the verb suchen meaning to seek what are you looking for i mean in the end everybody just wants to be loved and that's what it essentially comes down to when you have that kind of community that you were talking about that what they're doing buying that chap a cow they're not doing it out of any economic or other kind of motivation it's just love for their fellow human being and if we all had more of that how would the world look yeah i know i know it's it was such a such a moving story because inevitably he would be in this environment where probably nobody's got any money but every every little penny that they put towards this cow was a penny that they could have spent on 
themselves. And so that was what made it really, really moving and, yeah, powerful, I think. Yeah. Our society in more recent centuries has been more sort of individualistic yeah. and less community-centred. And I think that's maybe to our detriment in some way. Yes, yes. Okay, well, Keith, you know, we've had such an amazing conversation tonight, so... Um, I know we had. Well, I've I've had an amazing conversation, Jane. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know that we had a bit of a solo break in the middle, which was kind of quite fun. But anyway, yes. I'm glad that I managed to come back in and we managed to finish our conversation because I really hope that anybody who has been struggling a little bit with feelings of entrepreneurial burnout, which is that it's very very common after that initial flush of enthusiasm and all that that kind of excitement of getting a business started. If you are in that kind of phase where you're feeling a bit low on energy and you're in that kind of slump, Keith is somebody who can help you. So thank you so much, Keith, for coming on tonight and talking about such an important topic. You're very, very welcome. And I've absolutely loved it. I just noticed one thing where it's got my name in the bottom of my window. It just says Keith. And I have said to people, connect on LinkedIn if you want to. So they need to know my last name is Corbett, Keith Corbett. And I, I'm Ready, waiting and willing if you want to connect, but no pressure or obligation. Obviously. Okay, so Keith Corbett and connect with him on LinkedIn. Thank you so much again, Keith, and speak to you soon. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to, rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com slash masterclass and I'll show you how.